After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Well, good morning. As Daniel mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are in the first week of Advent. And Advent is a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus at Christmas and the return of Jesus in the second coming. And while we are all waiting to celebrate Christ's birth and waiting for his return, the truth is, during this season, many of us are waiting for other things as well. For some of us, we are waiting for packages to arrive so that we can get them wrapped and put under the Christmas tree. For others of us, we are waiting for more weightier things, such as, such as reconciliation of our marriages, healing from cancer or some other horrific disease, the gift of a husband or a wife, the blessing of a child, the provision of a new job, the deliverance from a habitual sin or addiction, or fulfillment of a specific longing or desire. All of us during this Advent season are waiting for something or someone. The question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is what is it that you are waiting for? I want you to just to take a moment to close your eyes and to think, what is it that you're waiting on God to provide for you 
during this season. Now, as one or more things have come to your mind, I want you to invite you to write in your bulletin or in your journal when you get home what those one or two things that you're waiting on God to provide for you. And I want you to keep those things in mind as we look at different stories of people like you and like me who are who were also waiting My hope is, as we look at these different passages over the next four weeks, that God would meet us, that he would encourage us, and that he would challenge us in our waiting. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at the sacrifice of Isaac, found in Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And as we look at our text this morning, I want us to consider two things. The first, the movement of waiting. And then secondly, the eyes to see God's provision. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful this morning. Our hearts are full from our worship time. And yet, as we close our eyes in thought, each of us in this room is waiting for something or someone. For a provision from you. Some of us have been waiting for years and years. Others might have just been waiting for a day or a week. Lord, I pray that during the season of Advent, that you would meet us in powerful ways. That you would give us eyes to see. That you would grow and increase our faith and trust in you. And I pray this. In your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to consider as we're looking at this story is the movement of waiting. Now, oftentimes when we think of waiting, we think of it as a static exercise. We sit by the phone and we wait for him or her to call asking us to go out again. We sit in the hospital waiting room awaiting the news of the birth of our grandson or granddaughter. Or we sit in a doctor's office and we wait to hear that familiar knock and the doctor entering to share the news about our latest blood test or PET scan. And while it's true that waiting does have static elements to it, what we learn in our passage this morning is that waiting is also very dynamic. Waiting is a journey in which God invites us To keep walking with him. We see this in our story this morning. In Genesis 22, God calls out to Abraham. And Abraham humbly responds. Here I am. Now this isn't the first time that God had a conversation with Abraham. God had talked with Abraham in Genesis 12. And told him that 
out of all the peoples of the earth, he had chosen him to make him a great nation. He promised to give Abraham new land filled with his descendants. And this new group of people would be called the Israelites. And God would bless them so that they might be a blessing to others. We also see other conversations between God and Abraham in Genesis. We see that God came to Abraham and had a conversation with him about the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. But this conversation was different than all the others. God was calling Abraham to do something that I'm sure he never imagined that God would ask him to do. And that was to take his only son, Isaac, and to go to the land of Moriah. About a three-day journey where he was to take him to the top of the mountain, build an altar there, and offer him there as a burnt offering. And while the author doesn't provide us a window into Abraham's thoughts and feelings, I think it's safe for us to imagine how distraught he must have been. How bewildered, upset, angry, and confused he must have felt. I'm sure Abraham must have been thinking, asking, asking questions of God. What in the world are you doing? Why would you ask me to sacrifice the son to whom you have promised to build a great nation. These questions would have been completely normal. And none of us would have faulted Abraham for doing like Jonah when God called him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah got on a ship and he went the opposite direction. But the text tells us that Abraham didn't hesitate when called. If you look in verse 3, we read that Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. <clears throat> and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place of which God had told him. For three days they made their way to the land of Moriah. And each day, Abraham waited on God to provide another way. Yet amazingly, with no answer, Abraham continued to take one step after another. To put one foot in front of the other. Abraham, even when he gets to the land of Moriah, tells the two young men that were accompanying him to stay behind. And he took Isaac. He took wood and fire. And he began to ascend the mountain. And as they continued to move, as he was waiting on God, we see this incredibly beautiful conversation between Abraham and Isaac in verses 7 and 8. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
In this conversation, Isaac knows to whom he belongs, calling out to Abraham, my father. And I love how present Abraham is to his son, saying, here I am. Isaac puts words to the question that I'm sure Abraham has been asking his heavenly father again and again as he's waited over these past three days. Behold the fire and the wood, but where, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where and how is God going to provide? How of this, how is this story of waiting going to end? And I so appreciate Abraham's confident response. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And as they have this conversation, and I'm sure Abraham's heart is, is so deeply moved, they continue to climb up the mountain. Until the journey of waiting had brought Abraham and Isaac to this unimaginable place, the place where he would build an altar, bound his son, and place him on it. The place where as he waited, he continued to obey as he laid Isaac upon it and lifted up a knife, prepared to slaughter his only son. Abraham continued to do the next right thing as he waited on God. And likewise, as we wait on God for the things we named earlier, God wants us to keep obeying, keep moving, keep putting one step in front of the other, doing what is before us. And if, if you're like me, you, you have to read this story and you have to ask, how in the world was Abraham able to do that? How was he able to continue on that three day journey? Why didn't he turn around and head in a different direction? How are we able to continue to walk as we wait on God. And I think there's many <clears throat> answers to those questions. But I want to just share two things that might be helpful to us this morning. And first is the movement of waiting requires that we remember God's promises. The text doesn't explicitly tell us this, but I believe every step of the three-day journey and even as Abraham raised the knife up over his son Isaac, he was reciting the promise that God had given him in Genesis 12. Abraham remembered the promise that God would make him a great nation and that this great nation would come through his son Isaac. It is this promise that enabled him to gather the wood and to take his son the two young men, and begin the trek to the land of Moriah. And it is this promise that enabled him to say no to Satan when the temptation came to turn around, to disobey God, and to go in the opposite direction. And it is this promise that enabled him to begin to see clear and to declare to the two young men that he and Isaac were going up on the mountain to worship, and yes, that both would be returning to him. 
The promises of God keep us moving as we wait on God to provide. In my house, I have this picture frame. This was given to me when I left InterVarsity by my area director, who happened to also be my InterVarsity staff when I was at Carolina. I think she knew my anxious heart. She knew my fearful heart. And she knew that a life with Christ is a life of waiting. And so she gave me this promise from Jeremiah chapters 29 and 30. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And when you seek me with all your heart, and you will surely find me, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. This picture frame, I situated it in my living room so that when I sat in my recliner or sit in my recliner every morning and pray and have my devotions, I can see this frame. And as I was preparing for the sermon on Thursday morning and thinking of the things that I'm waiting for, there's a huge part of me that doesn't ever want to get out of that chair or even leave the house. Sometimes I want to run in the opposite direction. But I look up and I remember Jeremiah 29 and 30. I remember this promise that there is hope for me in my future. And this promise enables me to begin the movement of waiting. It enables me to take the journey of waiting to my land of Moriah and to ascend my mountain. It's the promises of God that enable us to put one foot in front of the other and to do the next right thing as we wait on the Lord. And so I wonder, what promises might you need to have hanging on your walls, in your house, and written on the walls of your mind and heart this Advent season? It might be Jeremiah 29, 11. It might be Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It might be 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Each of us have different promises that we need to have plastered all over our house and in our office and in our cars and on our hearts and in our minds. Because if we're going to move as we wait, if we're going to obey as we wait, I think the only way we can do that is if we remember the beautiful promises of God. So first, in order to enter the movement of waiting, we need to remember God's promises. Secondly, we need to know his character. The movement of waiting requires that we know the character of our father. The conversation between Abraham and Isaac is one of the most beautiful conversations in Scripture. 
It's the only conversation that is recorded between Abraham and Isaac. It doesn't contain a lot of words like many of our everyday conversations do. But the words that are shared are one from a son who knows to whom he belongs and from a father who loves his son. This conversation demonstrates not just a son's obedience, but a son's trust in the one who is calling him to climb up on this altar. Isaac knows his father's heart. And therefore, he trusts and obeys him. Likewise, Abraham knows his heavenly father's heart. He knows to whom he belongs. And I believe it is in this knowing that enables Abraham in the midst of waiting to trust and obey God. As we are to go on our journey of waiting, we need to know to whom it is that we're waiting on. We need to know in our minds and in our hearts that He is our loving Father. We need to remember that the heart of the one who is calling us to wait is good and has our best interests interests at heart. I believe this is why Paul prays for the saints in Ephesus this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all fullness of God. You see, if we're going to move as we wait, we need to know who it is that we're waiting on. It was in and through this intimate relationship that enabled Abraham to trust and obey. And likewise for us to enter the movement of waiting, we need to know our Father. We need to know that He is good, compassionate, and gracious. We need to know that He is loving. We need to know that He is present to us, even in the waiting We need to know that we belong to Him. The intimate relationship between you and the Father will sustain us and cause us to trust and obey Him in the midst of waiting. And so I wonder this morning, what are you believing about your Heavenly Father? Will you see him today as he really is? Will you trust in his good heart towards you? If we are going to actively wait on God, we need to know the character of our Heavenly Father. And we need to believe that he's not against us, but he is for us and that his promises are true.
And so now that we've looked at the movement of waiting, let's take a moment to look at our passage this morning at the eyes that we need to have to see God's provision. There's a familiar story that many of you probably have heard of. A very religious man was caught in rising floodwaters. He climbed onto the roof of the house and trusted God to rescue him. A neighbor came by in a canoe and said, the waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll, we'll paddle to safely, safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he'll save me. A short time later, the police came by in a boat. The waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll take you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I have prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. A little time later, a rescue service helicopter hovered overhead, let down a rope and a ladder and said, the waters will soon be above your house. Climb the ladder and we'll fly you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. All this time, the floodwaters continued to rise until soon they reached above the roof and the religious man drowned. When he arrived at heaven, he demanded an audience with God and then ushered into God's throne room. He said, Lord, why am I here in heaven? I prayed to you to save me. I trusted you to save me from the flood. <clears throat> yes, you did, my child, replied the Lord. And I sent you a canoe, a boat and a helicopter. But you never got in. When it comes to God's provision. The question is not whether or not he provides for us, because we believe that Jesus answers our prayers. No provision is withheld. The question is, do we have eyes to see God's provision, regardless of what that provision is? In our story this morning, we see Abraham's vision getting progressively better as he waits on God. When they arrived in the land of Moriah, Abraham assures the two young men that he and Isaac would return to them. And we see this atop the mountain at the climax of the story. Abraham bound and laid Isaac on the altar. Altar. He took the knife in his hand and he began to raise it toward the sky. And just before he thrust it into Isaac's chest, the angel of the Lord calls out to Abraham, repeating his name twice to keep him from slaughtering his son. And Abraham replies, here I am. And the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And in verse 15, the author tells us that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham lifted up his head and looked. He sees the lamb that caught, was caught in the thicket and he takes this lamb and he lays it on the altar to be slain instead of his son. Likewise, as we wait on God. We need to not only pray for God to provide, but we also need to pray 
for eyes to see his provision. In Abraham's case, though behind him, the provision was easier to deduce since a ram was commonly used for sacrifices. And for us, God's provision might be just as ordinary. It might be exactly what you were praying for. But sometimes his provision is not what we expect at all. And thus, harder to see. In either case, we need, like Abraham, to lift our heads and ask God to give us eyes to see whatever it is that he has provided for us. And so I wonder this morning, as you think about the things that you were waiting for, the things on the list that you named, could God have already answered your prayers and provided something or someone for you? And you simply need to lift up your eyes and see his provision. And for others of us, maybe he hasn't provided and you're still waiting on God to provide. Do you have eyes to see whatever or whomever or however God wants to provide for you? Jesus says, what father, when a child asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Our heavenly father longs to provide for us this morning in ordinary and extraordinary ways. We can trust him. We can obey him as we wait. And we can ask him to give us eyes of faith to see his provision. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of expecting the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And expecting in his return to consummate his kingdom. Every one of us in this room, we're waiting for something today. In this story, God reminds us, don't be sedentary. Don't be passive. Continue to put one foot in front of another. Do the next right thing. Continue to walk toward your land of Moriah and ascend your mountain. Remembering the promises of God. Remembering the character of God. And as you wait, continuing to ask God to give you eyes to see. Because he promises us that he will provide. No prayer will ever go unanswered. Amen.